If you want to support this podcast and get a full ad-free episode, sign up to Headstuff Plus. All right, hang on. I'm going to sit. Hang on. I'm sitting down. I'm swinging the microphone around. Can you hear me? Is that all right? Yes. Nice, mate. Mate. All right. How you getting on? You well? You well? And you well beloved. How's your granny for slack? Is she ever off the bloody thing? So I got a fucking message off her on fucking house party there. I thought that was defunct. All my mates are on house party and they're chatting without me. I know they are. Uh, I'm so glad that those that kind of paro paro um, thing is kind of gone a bit now. There was a oh, there was a there was a Salem witch trials fucking height of hysteria FOMO in the peak of the pandemic where I was like, all my mates are in WhatsApp groups and I'm pretty sure they're actually slagging me off. <laughs> there was peaks. Oh my god, wasn't it just awful, awful height of FOMO. You know, and then it doesn't help out when it's like, oh, well, you can go out for dinner now and there's only six, you know, six seats, you know, at a table, you know, and people and then you're out and you're like, oh, my God, people are going to think that I'm, I don't I might people are going to think I hate my friends because I'm out with a different friend. You know, it was mad, mad times. Um, <laughs> but anyway, is house party still active or people on house party? Yeah. People doing a big group group chats. Well, I'm not. I didn't like it at all. I went on it once. I didn't like it at all. I didn't like the fact that people could just call me. I was like, in well, I'm, I'm in the party, am I? Because my phone is on and you can just, you know, I need to get over that. I need to be better at getting back to people. I have 72, and I'm not lying, unread WhatsApps on my phone. I have 72 unread WhatsApps. And that's not me bragging, right? That's not me. That's not me bragging. How many do I have in my Gmail? I think I've got, hang on, let me have a look. I have 458. 458 uh, unread emails, you know. But Google is kind of like, you know, he's getting quite good at being like, no, do actually read this one, though, you know. No, do actually check this one out. Um, I got a car full of shit and a can full of matches. <laughs> Still never found out. Eminem had some mad lyrics. But anyway, how are you? You well? You keeping well? Look, I'm going to level. You can call me bloody spirit. You can call me Casper, the spirit, because I'm going to level with you. I'm a spirit level. Uh, I have... Here's a chicken to tell you what I have planned for this episode. Fuck all! You wrote nothing down. I wrote nothing down. Not even on a napkin. Hmm? Because I had a very successful day as a comedian on Saturday when I performed in Vicker Street. And thank you very much. I can hear you applauding. I can hear some of you swapping the wires around in your headphones, turn them into a microphone, which is what you can actually do. Do you know that? Do you know you can swap two wires in your... I don't know if that's true, but there is a way of turning a headphone into a microphone. Um, but I can hear some of you applauding into your AirPods, and I appreciate it. I do appreciate it. Thank you very much. It was a wonderful night. But as a result, and this is a constant thing that happens with me, where I work really hard at something, and then it gets to the point, like I had this in sales, right? If I ever brought a big sale in, right? And I'm not talking about the bloody Nina Pinta, eh, right? I'm not talking about bloody ferrying in Columbus's ships. In fact, I don't even know the name of those ships. <laughs> I don't know the name of those ships. Murder ships. Yeah, and what's the name of Hitler's car? I don't know that either. Right? Does that make me dumb, or does that make me a legend that I don't know the name? The actual name is Columbus's ships. We shouldn't even be known them. They should be called fucking plague, pestilence, war, famine. That should be the name of those those ships. Fucking what an asshole! What a wanker! Columbus, man, you're such a wanker, bro. Oh my god, man! What you guys did to the indigenous populations, man? You're such a wanker, bro. Columbus is such a he's such a gobdaw. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, I don't know the name of his ships. But anyway, if I ever brought in a big sale, right? And I'm not talking about, you know, um, 
Tonani with other boats. Uh, in when I was in sales and I brought in a big sale, a big a big um, I sold for lots of money. Um, I would uh, and my managers would say this to me, being like Tony, you're very you know, you're very consistent with you know uh, you know you get a big sale and then I can see you there doing a fuck all you literally you know, but you can kind of you know like I will push that out. I will push out that kind of like you can't be angry at me because I'm still in the kind of you know the the glow of doing something well you know you can't be angry at me and i will push that up to the point where people will be like no you're actually taking the piss now you do need to get back and do some some work you know what i mean um and that's any look even in your dream job even in your dream career these are habits and that's what you know you can call another and i'm not talking about sister mary clarence and you can see me floundering for content <laughs> <laughs> floundering for content and references here. If this is your first podcast, um, oof. Ooh, oh no, oh good lord, good lord. Um, but look, I suppose I can tell you about the gig. That'll be something I could talk about here. I'll tell you about the gig. It went swimmingly. You can call it Jaws because it went swimmingly and it ate up loaded kids. Um, no, it went well, and it was a magic night. And it was a magic night, and I got to share it with with pals, you know, on stage. Kevin McGarren came out. We fucking tore the roof off the spot. If you're, if, you, if you're not even familiar and you're just like, I want to walk into a comedy club, if you see Kevin McGarren on the bill, you're going to have a phenomenal time. Uh, Peter McGarren was there. It was a lad who was heckling him, just saying, crisps, just because of his iconic video, crisps, where he pretended he was a, an influencer sponsored by crisps. But it, that's not his stage thing. His stage thing, I won't spoil it for you, but it was it was very, very funny and very unexpected. Uh, and it went down really well. Hannah Mamelis was out there, fucking tore the roof off the place. Got everyone involved in a big massive sing-song at the end. And everyone was loving it. It was Whopper. Dream Gun. Stephen Confer was there. Ronan Carey was there. And just getting to go out and do a Dream Gun with my pals on the same night that I'm also performing. You know, it was just, it was a it was a wonderful night. Magic night. Um, And it's not, like, it's so not what I thought would happen. It's so not why I had convinced myself that I was going to die. I was convinced myself that I was, that it was not... I was coming up to the gig and I was like, I, I've said this on the pod previously, but because of the last two years, my my perception of, you know, of butterflies. <laughs> no, hang on. Let me rephrase this. Uh, I'm not able to deduce as as well as I previously could what butterflies, what, what the feeling of butterflies is. Because it's sometimes indistinguishable. Excitement is indistinguishable from pure dread, right? Because there are butterflies present, right? It's like, no, am I just excited about putting my hand on top of a bra? Or am I, do I need to shit so that I can flee a leopard, right? And I can't tell because I didn't have, because these are all tummy tummy rumblings that are not familiar in the last two years, right? Because I've been, I've the only thing I've been able to do, or I've built up a huge a huge security in in comfort and taking comfort i've i've eaten comfortably i've i've sat comfortably you know i've done things that make me comfortable like watching tv and playing ghost of tsushima right these are the things that make me comfortable so things that are very dissimilar to that in my mind that don't look exactly like that my my scope of reference and anything that looks so different from that gives me a sense of butterflies but some for different reasons one because i'm excited or another because i'm like Oh no, you know, it's a pandemic and that actually does scare me a little bit to do that. And it's difficult to tell 
what all these feelings are. So leading up to this gig, I just had butterflies and I couldn't tell what they were. And I was telling myself, look, it's grand, Tony. You'll go out there. You won't die. I realized about, and I'm not even messing, I realized about a month ago, right, that I have never died. And that's not to say that I haven't bombed. I've bombed, but I've never physically died. So that concern needs to be parked permanently because I haven't. So there, was, there should be no reason that I should unless it's like, you know, doing fucking, I don't know, Vodafone's guillotine fucking comedy hour or something like that. And I'm like, maybe because of that dangling blade, I might die. But in normal shows, you know. Anyway, so I could park the fact that I'm going to die. Um, but but then I was like, right, what, what's probably going to happen then is I'll be violently maimed. And, you know, but uh, what the, the, good, the flip side of this is, yes, I might be violently maimed, but I will at least you know, not have to do the gig ever again. This is the level of nerves sometimes that I come up to a gig where I'm like, great news, you're going to do this one gig and you'll never do it again. You never have to do a gig again, right? Um, And literally up until going out behind a curtain, that's like, this is the last thing because I don't like, you know, this feel. And then you go out and, you know, you hear a reaction, you see people and they're smiling and they're laughing and there's just a will. There is just an energetic will for you to do good, <laughs> you're you're literally being kind of like propped up by the the sheer will of people wanting the show to go well and be funny, and and it was funny and it was brilliant. I had such a good time, uh, but it's so insane how literally like between a curtain is like my life is never doing stand up again and trying to recoup and having to walk on one of those like walker things, you know that you see like you know Vietnam vets learning how to walk again on. That's how I visualize my future. And then it's like, how do I do this tomorrow? How how do I do this tomorrow? How do I actually stay out here? You know? Um, but it went super well. And, you know, I definitely want to be doing more gigs. I died, you know. I literally, like, literally, like, I had my career mapped out before this gig. And I'm like, I'm never doing a gig. Uh, this will be the last gig, you know. I mean, I always say that. I, mean, I was literally, like, I'm talking to my agent about booking gigs. And I've already alluded to the fact. But I'm kind of thinking, like, you know, you know. It's also like my birthday week, do you know what I mean? It's my birthday week, so I'm really in the mood to do fuck all the chickens back again. Um, so it's my birthday week. Um, and I tell you, uh, they've been talking about, I mean, the, ta- the, the the whole discussion. Oh no, it doesn't really look very likely now. But, uh, that is, I'm not, I'm never talking about COVID again. But anyway, the restrictions were, uh, the, uh, they're going to be lifted on the 22nd of October. And um, I, get, I was just, get, I was buzzing off. I'm so self-obsessed. They're like, I watch Sopranos and every time they say Tony, I get a little, oh, huh, talk about me. <laughs> every single time. Watched um, Iron Man and all all the Avengers, all the MCU and they say Tony and then I go, huh. like I still get a little, oh, talk about me, you know. Um, like even when I see like my birthday on like a milk carton and like it's going to expire, I'm like, oh, hey, you know, I'm so self-obsessed. So when everyone kept talking about, you know, Restrictions are going to be lifted on the 22nd of October. I'm like, hey, you know, getting buzzed. You know, it doesn't look like it looks like it's going to be a sad, sad day. The 22nd of hey, you know, I see club promoters being like, if my if my events can't go ahead, I'm financially ruined on the 22nd of October. I'm like, hey, it's my birthday. <laughs> it's my birthday. Um, but that's sad. That's it. And I hope they I hope they are. I mean, it's only time will tell. This is hey, you can call me. Hey, hey, you can call me Tinder for one because I'm dating myself uh, on with this reference. But um, dating like you know, kind of calendar dating. Um, but hopefully they are uh, all lifted, and hopefully there is never a pandemic ever again. Um, you know, 
it's insane listening back you listen back to podcasts and people talk about plans for like 2020 and they talk you know you ever listen to like an old podcast people are talking about that and you're like oh even my old pod, my podcast um but anyway look i'm saying it's my birthday weekend or my birthday week right see i like to go big for my birthday um, and I, what I hoped to do this year was the same thing I did for my 30th. I'm 34 this year. It's not exactly a monumental birthday, but for my 30th, I did uh, a Stars in Their Eyes night, right? And this is just something I made up because I wanted to do it. I rented out a venue. I told all of everyone who was coming to dress up as a singer or, you know, an artist, you know, a musical artist. Um, and I asked if anyone would like to do a song. And what they would do is basically come out, dress as the artist as close as they could, like in Stars of the Rise, and sing a song in the style of that artist to a backing track and sing. Not like, you know, karaoke. Not See, the thing about karaoke, I love karaoke. I love, I adore, I adore karaoke, right? But as a egomaniac, I don't like, I don't mind everyone joining in as long as I have the microphone, as long as it's not being louder than me. And um, I like the Japanese style of karaoke, where where it's in a bar and there's one person gets up and everyone watches with manners and they applaud them when they're finished, right? So that's what I was kind of hoping for with this. People would go up, they'd know their lines, there'd be a backing track and everyone would sing along and it'd be great, you know. I had a mate of mine, uh, be Matthew Kelly and everyone interview, you know, bringing people up, um, which is such good fun. Um, my mate Kathy Burke, you know, did my t-shirts, she uh, my merch. Um, she's a good pal. She dressed up as Liam Gallagher. She looked she looked exactly like Liam Gallagher. She absolutely stole the show. Um, I had my brother Andrew. He dressed up as George Michael. He did Freedom, you know, which just has. When do you get to sing Freedom in front of all your pals? You know what I mean? Just get to, and with all the extra bits, you know. I think there's something you should know, and everyone getting. I'm down the road and I make them just the song keeps building all we have to you know so we had a great time with that although there was two other George Michaels I think next time we're like guys can you please tell me which celebrity you're dressing up as I don't want a lot of George Michaels walking around like like back in um, back in uh, 2017 um, was it 2017 Jesus Christ anyway um, so uh, and then and then I went out as Meatloaf um, did a full Nine minute version of uh, Battle of Hell. Um, not to the fucking radio at EMS them. And then I had a lot of trophies to give out. I had a lot of small trophies that I got in um, in uh, Flying Tiger. And then a big trophy as well that I had made. And based on the claps, this was the original thing, based on the claps of who, you know, everyone thought was the best, they would get the big trophy. But everyone would get a participant trophy. Uh, and then the winner would get the big trophy. So then when I performed last, of course, um, uh, mate Shane, who was Matthew Kelly, uh, now we were all fairly sauced. He just gave me the big trophy, and I didn't refuse. And so my wife still brings up to anyone who will listen that I once threw a Stars in Their Eyes uh, talent competition and gave myself first prize, which is technically true. Which is technically true. I didn't fight it, you know. Um, you know, I am complicit in it. But he, Shane, did give me the trophy, so that's just you know. Um, so I was hoping to do that this time, but no. I mean, uh, venues are just like. Here, are you using... Everyone's like, don't be fucking getting me down. Ask me a question about the future. Are you joking me? I don't even know if I can eat next week. Don't you fucking let alone... You're a bunch of you arty fucking morons coming in here. Singing to a backing track. And then, unfortunately, actually at the gig, I'm just remembering now. It was in it was in uh, Drop Dead Twice, the bar, um, in Francis Street. And they let us have the whole downstairs for the, for the, for the time. Um, It was on a Friday night. But th- then they also... Right, they also kind of like let us do everything, like you know, get up on the stage, use mics, you know, 
uh, singing to the mics, play tunes from the, the sound desk and all. But then they never took that off us. <laughs> you know, they, and, and there can be too much of a good thing. And kind of being left, you know, then it was like, all right, play whatever song you want and get on the mic and sing it. And that was getting fairly fucking rowdy now. That was, you know, there should have been a cutoff now. You can't, you can't be leaving a hot mic out there. Do you know what I mean? There needs to be, you know, and I was getting up on stage and I was all like, now everyone's saying happy birthday to my cousin Omar. And I recorded it and I sent it to him and I was getting the bar to sing. And it was, you know what I mean? It was good. It was good. I'm just going to get a bit of fear, don't you? You know, it's like that was, that was very, that was very extra. You know, um, but it was a wonderful time, wonderful time, um, and I won, I won famously, you know. But you know, birthdays just for whatever reason, I have always treated mine with a lot of respect. <laughs> you know, even even my brothers, you know, you know, you've heard this before, but when it was my brother's birthday, I would get a present as well. I would get a present. My older brother would have to not share his birthday, but I would certainly act like he had to. I would go around telling all of his party guests, being, you know, it's my birthday as well. Hey, do you know? Hey, sorry there. Do you know what's my birthday as well? It's my birthday as well. Tugging people's little, you know, tugging their shirts, they look down. It's my birthday as well. You know, happy birthday, dear Andrew and Tony, I would sing. And it's my birthday as well. <laughs> you know, and then it would come around to my birthday, and my mom would say, "Duffy Circus is in ten. I think the whole family should go." And I'm like, "Why should you go? <laughs> Just give me the four tickets. I'll do four nights on the trot. Why should you get my present? Just give me all the tickets." I remember saying that to my mom. Uh greedy, greedy, greedy little um, boy who I love, who I love. You know, you can't, you can't hate, hate a boy. But, you know, I think the best present I ever got, and look, again, Tinder for one here, dating myself, uh, was a Sega Dreamcast. Oh, yeah. See, I always, I, this is what this is what marketing does to you. It makes you feel like you're a one or the other kid. And I was a Sega kid because Sonic was cool. Sonic was radical. So I will die by this brand because the blue hedgehog is really fast and he got an attitude. Just like me. Just like me, a five-year-old. I got a fucking attitude like this fucking... Hedgehog. Now this is before, of course, I um, I uh, you know, I did my spirit animal thing. You know, I've said this on the podcast before. I do have an affinity with hedgehogs. I think this is maybe part of it. You know, when my brother was a Wiccan, he was a witch. He did a spell on me, um, to make me see my spirit animal, and I got sick out in front of the house, um, and a hedgehog came out of the bushes and ate my sick. So this happened to me. You did a spell, your spirit animal will reveal itself. It was, it was a hedgehog. So I've always had an affinity with hedgehogs, okay? Um, and I think that's why Sonic, I just thought, was the coolest dude ever. Even though I kind of liked Tails more. But I think that just came from me being insecure and feeling like I couldn't be the main person. It's also why I liked bassists for ages. I couldn't admit that I liked guitarists, because I'm like, oh, no, I don't think I'm good enough to be it. You know, I'm not good enough to be Sonic. Tell you what, bitch, I'm fucking Knuckles. That's who I am. Tails. Why was I fucking obsessed with Tails? Because he's a little loser, a little dweeb, right? But anyway, I thought that... Um, he's not a dweeb. None of them are dweebs. They're all legends. I still have a massive affinity to, uh, to Sonic. But I viewed myself as a Sega fanboy, right? So it was Sega and Nintendo in the 90s. See, I'll give you a bit of a uh, video game history, right? Um, so, so in the, if you're, I'm talking about home video games, right? Nintendo essentially in the 80s had the market share of 90% of the market share 
of video games. This is after they pretty much saved the, the video game industry after Atari had single-handedly ruined it. I mean, it was Atari and also, well, what happened with Atari was, and go back one little bit further and I won't talk about this for too long. The Atari 2600, you've seen it, Pong, right? You know, the sticks with the little, the black joystick with the red button on it, right? The Atari 2600, you've probably seen it in Stranger Things, you've probably seen it, you know, it's a 70s console, it's got wood paneling, it looks like every kind of American basement, you know, that 70s show kind of vibe. And it was the leading video game. Uh, it was the leading home video game console of the 70s. Um, and because it was so big, people wanted to make so many games for it. It was the biggest selling thing, and everyone wanted a piece of the market. And back then, video game litigation was fairly fucking loose. It was fairly, you didn't really know, you know, there was not many rules on it. I mean, it was mad. Some of the stuff that they could do. Someone came out with another version of Pac-Man and defended it. Um, like Eat Boy or whatever it was called, and was able to defend it in court because they basically said that how could it be a, a, a copy of an IP of Pac-Man when every single movement of a joystick indicates that it's going to be... Every single movement of a joystick means that every single game is different. Every single time you move your joystick, it's a different experience. So you so even literally stealing the exact character design of pac-man and the level design and blue ghosts and reselling it as a different game it's like well no this isn't a copy of an ip because how can a, a video game be an ip when every single game play is a different experience that was the defense that actually got these people away from being um, um sued by namco um so it was very loose and even as well as that, um, like, obviously, you have cartridges that you put into your games console. Back then, you could just put whatever you want in. If it could fit into the cartridge, you know, it was able to. There was no chip or whatever to stop, um, you know, unwanted games. So as a result, there was a lot of shit. There was a lot of shit games. And that culminated in, um, I've talked about this in the podcast before, E.T., the game E.T., which was made weeks before uh, its release. Because E.T. was the big movie that year. Um, 1982, I believe, and then uh, that Christmas, they needed a game, and they said, no matter what it takes, there has to be a game, and it was just, I think, a handful of people, maybe even just one main game designer who had to make a game, um, who I don't think even had even seen E.T., <laughs> so it's leading up to Christmas, and they just printed millions of these cartridges, E.T., and it sold, it sold so well, until word got out that it was the worst game of all time, it didn't make any sense, it was glitchy, it was awful. E.T.'s this beautiful experience. E.T. just keeps dying over and over and over again. These kids are like on Christmas morning saying, why can't I keep E.T. alive? Michael Jackson's best friend, E.T. And the Maz were up in arms. And then word started getting out. And you know what as well? I have these other games that aren't very good. In fact, my kid's telling me that most of these games are dog shit. And I'm spending, you know, $70 for a cartridge, right, for these games. It's ridiculous, you know? And so eventually people... And then that culminated with a kind of movement at the time... Uh, that video games were leading to violence and they're the devil and all this sort of stuff that was happening at the exact same time. So then E.T., the video game, is kind of gets the, the brunt of it, but there was a lot of other factors. Um, and uh, and so that was the yeah, pretty they, that was the, the, the crash, the video game industry crash. People were not buying video game, home video game consoles anymore. So they had to be repackaged for years. Um, that to be repackaged as kind of like, you know, home uh, computers like the Commodore 64. So you can do your schoolwork on it, but you can also, hey, between me and you, play a bit, you know, centipede on there, you know, between me and you. Um, and so they looked like kind of computers until then, until Nintendo then came along with the Nintendo entertainment system. Well, originally the Famicom in German, or in Japan. Um, 
and this was kind of marketed in toy shops and being like this is not electronics these are toys um these are you know these are just like there is there's peripherals there's a gun that you can get for the nes where you can shoot ducks you know it's a duck hunting toy you know there's a robot peripheral that can play games with you it's just a toy it's not video games video games still had a really bad you know home video games anyway the arcades were still going and um so Nintendo came out with this home console, and they and also what they did is they brought in this thing called the Nintendo Seal of Approval, and they had a chip in their game in their console that would not let anything that was not given this kind of you know untrigger chip essentially. Um, if this had a chip in your game cartridge, it would play in a Nintendo. If it didn't have the chip, which Nintendo were not giving out willy nilly, it had to pass through a rigorous process. You also had to pay a shitload, and I've given them a cut of every single game that you sold. So Nintendo were just doing serious money, you know. And they made really good games. They saved the video game industry in the 80s. But Sega had come out with this new technology. Sega of Japan had come out with this new technology for the Sega Mega Drive, right? And they had in the back room, in their R&D, this incredible Sonic game. This game that was blowing the fucking socks off kids. People couldn't believe the speed. I couldn't believe the speed. I remember being there on Christmas Day saying to me, Dad... I cannot believe how fast this is. And he said, well, you know, things are going to get even faster. And I laugh my ass off at him. I'm like, Dad, look, you're old news. You don't get it. This is it. We have peaked, right? I don't know about your old days of, you know, going along on a donkey cart and you thinking that was top speed, right? This is the actual top speed, right? This is the real deal. Nothing's ever going to be faster than Sonic. Um, and obviously I was wrong. But anyway, look, the point I'm getting at here is um, uh, I've talked about this before on the podcast as well, the, the console wars. But um, Sega also brought in the head of um, marketing for oh, the guy who basically launched all the very popular uh, early 90s Nike ads they brought in to do Sega. And this was all the mad stuff where people's heads were exploding and kids were like, whoa, and big zoom in lens on people's faces and being all warped and weird and sticking it to parents. Because they had one kid in the focus group who said, I like to play, you know. I like Sonic and my, you know, my little brother, little kids play Nintendo. That's what someone in the yard had said. And they were like, we're building a whole campaign around this. And the whole thing was Sega does what Nintendo don't. And they kept making up all these, you know, specs that would outspec the SNES and make it seem like the PlayStation was faster and cooler. And they got all the, you know, they popped up in every mall across America. They had celebrity endorsements. They just pumped everything into the marketing to make you think that it was a lifestyle choice for you to go Sega, and it worked on me. I was five, and I'm like, this is... Nintendo is for little babies. I'm a five-year-old. I'm a man with big bollocks, right? I like Sonic, right? I don't like any of that shit. So, um... But it worked on me. But, of course, then... this is So, this, so what's weird, what I find it very interesting about it as well, right? You had Sega of, of America was making all these decisions. But Sega of Japan were the people with the purse and the people who were pulling the strings, right? So, they were the ones making all the decisions and they had and, that, and that's where the money was coming from. And it got to a point where I'm, I'm pretty sure they were not happy with how successful Sega of America were being and feeling like that their ideas were not being met, even though they were the more successful decisions that were made. And so Sega of Japan were like, okay, um, they're in the process of making the next generation. Sega Mega Drive is a huge success. It wins that generation of console war, okay? And then Nintendo are working on a another system, and Sega are working on potentially... Actually, do you know what? I'll very briefly tell you this, right? This is the biggest snub in video game history, right? What happened was Sega had met with Sony, and Sony, uh, you know, had 
you know, they had the market share of CDs, they had the market share of, you know, TVs and CD players. And they said they wanted to get into making gaming peripherals, right? Not full consoles, gaming peripherals. And they met with Sega of America. Um, and they said they would like to make a, they could figure out a way of making disc-based games that you could play on your cartridge Sega Mega Drive. All you have to do is plug it in to the the Mega Drive. Um, you know, this kind of thing that plugs in and you can play discs on it. And they ended up making something. The Sega 32X, right? 32-bit was the whole thing. So it went from 16-bit to 32-bit. CDs could hold a bit a lot more information. But they ended up not doing it with Sony. What happened was... They were at Gamescom or E3 or whatever electronic gaming expo that they were at. And Sega were there and they were about to announce, it had already leaked, that Sega were there to announce a new CD peripheral for the Sega Mega Drive that was going to be in conjunction with Sony. Sony's first foray into gaming and all the eyes of the of the media were there. And someone in Sega Japan had said that Sony were going to basically, if they were let in here, they were eventually going to have the market share. It was they had the market share of you know of all the other electronics. It would be you know at the time, and it would only be a matter of time before they got into video games. And they needed to silence it, and they needed to make an example of them. I think was the example it was it was what they said. And so we went to the the expo, and everyone like Sega is going to be talking about how they're going to be teaming up with Sony. They went up on stage, and they said, and this is the Sony execs there as well, waiting for to hear this announcement. And they said, Sega are proud to announce our partnership with. Panasonic and all the eyes turned on Sony and like was taking photos and they were absolutely embarrassed they were embarrassed beyond belief and they left and they licked their wounds and they came back with a Sony PlayStation and they fucking the Sony PlayStation so anyway I'm talking about the same so so then Sega right ended up doing this thing with Panasonic that made the, the, the 32X, right? So this was an extra peripheral. Everyone was talking about all these next generation of consoles. People were scared. Parents are like, well, what's going to happen? Why, why can't they just keep the same console? Why can't you just improve this console? And so then the 32X came out. Um, well, actually, they were all going to move on to the next generation. That's just the nature of these things. You move on, the technology changes, you put it into a different system, into a different console, and the Sega Saturn was about to be released. But before then, they also launched the 32X, which is a way of basically having your cake and eating it too, right? And it was more like $140 or something like that. It was really expensive for an extra peripheral just to play a handful of games. There wasn't many games. There was one Sonic game. Um, they basically wanted people who still wanted to play a Mega Drive, guess what? You can still have this. But that's not how things work, right? It's not like, you know, if, you're, if your kid has a 32X and then the kid around the street has a Saturn, your kid's going to play the Saturn and be like, what the fuck don't I have a Saturn, right? So basically, they, they oversaturated themselves and people ended up buying neither. So then what happens? Sony PlayStation comes out. Sony PlayStation comes out and they're even, they're borrowing everything from the Sega Playbook. They're like, this is, no, not only is this not for cool teens, this is for adults, for adults, right? We're coming out with games like Resident Evil. We're coming out with games like Metal Gear Solid. We're coming out with Final Fantasy VII. You know, Square, who had wanted to make all these games for, like, Nintendo, and, you know, I think, I don't even think they had a Sega game, but they had a good collaboration with Nintendo. They were like, uh, we want to make the most ambitious game that's ever been made, the most ambitious RPG that's ever been made, and I'm sorry to tell you that Nintendo is not going to be able to play it. They were originally making Final Fantasy VII for the SNES, and they were like, do you know what? We can't make it here. If there's if there was a CD based computer, home computer, home uh, console, then we could make probably the biggest, most ambitious role playing game of all time. And they did, and then just game after game, the horsepower was there. Nintendo were taking ages to come out with the N sixty four, and Sony just just fucking slurped up all the market, slurped it all up. But I was still, even though I had a Sony PlayStation and a Nintendo, 
I was still, just for whatever reason, I still identified as a cool, badass Sega boy, right? I'm a motherfucking Sega boy. So Sega Dreamcast is coming out, and I'm like, what? You're telling me this is 128-bit? I still bought all the shit they were serving me. Uh, you know, Nintendo 64-bit, this is 128-bit. Class, give it to me. Hook it up to my veins. This is the first one that's coming out. There's going to be a brand new Resident Evil coming out on that. It's not going to be on any other console. That, I need that console. Please give it me. But the real reason that I wanted it, the real reason I wanted it, is because I was 12. I was, yeah, I was just 12 that birthday. And you know what? I was turning, I was becoming a horny little devil. I was becoming a horny little devil. And I wanted access to the internet I didn't know how I would find it but I knew if I had the internet I could see boobs and how it was a lot more challenging this is before Google right so I had to just you had to know websites and I get, let me tell you porn.com is not a very good website neither is boobs.com or IE you know so I ended up having to go to the WWF.com and just click on uh, pictures of women <laughs> in the wrestling, you know, divas like uh, Trish Stratus and Tori and, um, you know, Jacqueline and all the all the all the fine ladies of wrestling. And um, and, you know, but I mean, it's it's difficult to look, it's it's difficult to be ogling uh, sexy women in your 12 year old uh, bedroom, especially when um you're trying to be discreet, but there's a 20 meter uh, internet cable going from downstairs all the way upstairs to my locked room. <laughs> it doesn't look, it's literally like a breadcrumb trail of fap, right? All the way up to my room. Doesn't really give it, you know. So it's very hard to be, especially like, you know, my mouse picks up the phone, like, bang, 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 hey, bang, bang, hey, your boy's having a wank, you know? Your boy's having a wank. That's the sound of your boy having a wank upstairs, right? So, I thought he was just playing Sonic, you know? Jesus, he's, he's really co- he's really so out of breath after playing that Sonic. It must be some game. <laughs> he seems to be... Is, is it like motion control? Is he having to run on the spot with that game? You know? But that was the real reason. So, I mean, that was, you know... I'll never... I can never be more grateful for my gateway into um, sexy ladies. You know, I'll never, um, you know, I can never, I'm so grateful, you know. Just really want to play Sonic again, Dad. <laughs> I just want to see how fast he can go now. Remember that conversation we had on Christmas about how fast he can go? You were right. Will you get me the uh, the FAP thing? Uh, the Dreamcast, the Dream Fab. Um, that was, yeah, so that was, you know, boobs.com, wwfdivas.com, you know, waiting for this stupid, you know, 144p. You know, one frame a second uh, video of Trish Stratus, you know, going to the beach. <laughs> you know? And then trying to go in a chat room, trying to cyber on that thing. Trying to type in, you know, like, you know, what are you wearing with, with a little D-pad, you know? And I'm not talking about the bloody console. Oh, my God. I'm not talking about the bloody uh, controller, rather. <laughs> but, yeah, it was um, it was a good time. So that was a good toy. That was a good birthday. Um what else what else um i'm talking about kids presents you know you know not 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 adults presents not frattles um but every other birthday was kind of like i would i would whatever the whatever the fad movie was that year you know and again i cannot get over just how unoriginal 
I, I, I was and how I originally thought I was. I mean, look, there were so many options. It's not like, you know, it's like, I don't want to watch Barney. I want, you know, I don't want a Barney toy. I want, you know, a Val Kilmer Batman toy, you know? So it's, I suppose that's a bit different, you know? I wasn't playing football, you know? So that's a bit different, but I'm still falling prey to all the marketing, you know? 1995, that was Batman Forever, which means I had the whole Batman suite, you know? I had the Batmobile. I had, you know, as I said previously, underwater assault Batman, you know? When he goes into the Riddler's base, and he, but the thing, thing is, right, they don't tell you this. You can't fit. If a Batman, look, anywhere, if you're a parent or even if you're just looking to buy, you know, um, toys online, if you're buying the aqua version of the superhero, his fucking flippery, stupid feet are not going to fit in the Batmobile, right? You can just about wedge them in, but he's going to be staring down at his legs, speeding through Gotham, looking like an insane man, right? So, um... But anyway, that was that. That was that. Um, that birthday, I got the whole the whole Batman suite and uh, Riddler and all. You know, um, Ace Ventura there. You know, which was ninety five. Considering this, right? Uh, Jim Carrey does Ace Ventura, um, The Mask, Dumb and Dumber, and then Batman Forever. That's his fourth flick. That's his fourth flick, and it's just he's just playing. You know, I've said this before. In my Batman Forever review. Um, the two little lads are just playing the Joker. You got Tommy Lee Jones is playing the Joker. You got Jim Carrey playing the Joker. That's why people do not give enough credit to Danny DeVio for how unbelievably different that performance is from everyone else. How fucking weird does Colin Farrell look in that new Batman trailer? It looks unbelievable. And I know you think, oh, why can they just get someone who looks like that? Because Colin Farrell is a brilliant actor, but he's so handsome. He's so handsome that you kind of can't buy a lot of the emotions that he's feeling. He's even adorable when he's talking about killing a kid and in Bruges. He's like, that's a door. He's, I still, you know, I wouldn't kick him out of bed for killing a kid, you know. Um, but he's just, he's, he's too handsome. So him done and all this, the makeup looks great. Paul Dano as the Riddler, as this, you know, David Fincher 7, you know, um, Kevin Spicy kind of uh, Riddler. I'm very excited about it. It looks very good. But anyway, so that was that year, 95. I got the whole Batman suite. 96 was Independence Day, which meant I had a Will Smith toy me. I had a Jeff Goldblum toy made. Oh, I share a birthday with, by the way, Jeff Goldblum. Um, I had a little Harrier jet, a little Bill Pullman in the jet. I had um, a little, like, you know, the actual saucer, a little flying saucer that they're in, the alien vehicle. I loved Independence Day. I loved Independence Day. I still love Independence Day. I think it's one of the, I think it's, it's not one of the best. But I think it's actually one of my top 10 films of all time, Independence Day. I think it is, just for the impact that it had on me. I watched, you know, but there's bits, as I'm getting older now, I realize you can kind of, you can, you can criticize some things, you know? I was listening to, I'm all over the place today, I hope you don't mind. I was listening to Rocky Horror Picture Show, which is again one of my, my top ten films. Um, And I was listening to, I have it on vinyl. And the whole second half of the vinyl is like after they kind of, you know, they stay the night. And then they're basically all turned into, you know, transvestites, you know. And the whole, the whole like second half of the whole thing is is just a stage act, which is brilliant, you know. But I, I, I probably would have. I know it's like it's it's a masterpiece. It's in my top ten. But I kind of wish that there was a different setting for the second half of that film. You know, it gets a bit samey. The first half is brilliant. I'm so excited. Everything's happening. I don't know what to make of it. And then the second half is just a stage show. And I understand that's kind of point. But I kind of you know. 
I wish they had done more with that. <laughs> I wish Richard O'Brien in his classic piece, the Rocky Horror Picture Show, and Rocky Horror, original Rocky Horror Show, uh, groundbreaking uh, progressive theatre, uh, had been a bit different. Just for me, you know, a bit more meatloaf, please. Um, but what was it saying? So yeah, I got all the Independence Day suite, you know. But these are fad toys. Once the movie is out, like, this is not long-lasting, evergreen, like, you know, like I had ever, I had Terminator Two toys. I had Alien versus Predator toys. I had, you know, name a film. I had Last Action Hero, Last Action Hero toys. I had like five Last Action Hero toys. Um, which I heard a great take on Last Action Hero. It was on, um, the, um, it was on. Sorry. Blank Check, Blank Check podcast. And Paul Shear and Jason Manzukas were on. They were talking about Big Trouble in Little China. It was a great episode where they're talking about the film Big Trouble. John Carpenter's Big Trouble in Little China. And they were talking about just the general the general um, state of Hollywood and Hollywood action movies. And how the leading man is kind of... They didn't say this, but it's kind of gone back to that. In the same way Bruce Willis came along and changed the game in Die Hard. Being like, oh, this is a guy who's kind of like charming. You know, at the time he was this, you know, from moonlighting he was this kind of like leading romantic lead man you know and then he's running around with his shoes off in a vest not really showing off many muscles he's balding you know um and he's this is after the kind of stallone schwarzenegger dolph lundgren kind of boom of what an action hero was you know or you've got steven seagal and that kind of you know at least marsh gift gifted van damme martial artist kind of action hero and he's kind of his every man running around um you know, and and they were saying that kind of Kurt Russell is was you know another example of the person who just kind of gets it wrong. You know, Chris Pratt has a lot of that kind of energy. The person who just bumbles his way through it and is very charming and you know is a bit a bit of a bimbo, but in a real funny way. You know, always seems to get the girl, but not fully know how. You know, especially in Big Trouble in Little China. But their take on the best new franchise that they should do is The Rock should do the Last Action Hero. That's a missed opportunity of a flick at the time. People didn't really like it. It doesn't quite stick the landing, but the idea is genius. And their take, and I thought that was a very stimulating idea, The Rock doing a take on The Last Action Hero, where it's him playing himself, playing a film version of himself. I think he's the perfect person to prop that up. What do we think of The Rock song? I know I was talking about it on The Cork Show, right? It's about pride. It's about power. We stay hungry. We devour. Something, something with asses. I'm going to boots to asses. That was my name, Rock. He says eight lines in it. It's the number one track in the world right now. It might even beat Adele. It might even beat Adele. The wor- Probably the first draft of a rap that he did in between, you know, taking a big creatine shite, you know, on his notes app is the biggest. And look, I love The Rock. I love The Rock, you know. Um... But you know what I'm cautious of with The Rock? And look, I it took a bit of adjusting, you know, when The Rock went from being the most electrifying man in sports entertainment to talk about gratitude and being humble, you know. And now everything that he's doing is his own launched project, you know. He's talking about Black Adam, a villain of Shazam, being the biggest superhero film in the world, you know. So he was in an interview saying about how Jungle Cruise, he was all like, when I saw Pirates of the Caribbean, I knew then that it would be my dream to make a film based on an amusement park ride. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, we all have kind of ideas. Oh, that wouldn't be, you know, a bad idea. Everything seems to have been this thought-out dream 
that I, it, oh, it had always been my dream to start an energy drink brand. Really? Really? Or to just realize that there's cheap substitutes for sugar and you can put a fucking whopper margin on it, you know? Look, I love The Rock. I love The Rock because he's as delusional as I am, right? I mean, I'm, you know, I could easily find myself being, you know, when I was a kid, I had a dream that uh, there would be a video uh, where I would be walking around uh, asking which is South County Dublin lads if they wanted a carbonated beverage. And I'm proud to say today that uh, Plune has hit over a million views. You know, yeah, you know, <laughs> um, you know, or two million, whatever it is, you know, hey, whatever. Who knows? I don't remember. Um, but I'm as, I'm as deluded as that, you know. Like, I am like I come out with things being like, I want to make a musical, uh, you know, about divorcees in 1990 set to the music of Celine Dion. I've said that to people. I've burned the ears off people about my um, kind of divorcees musical, you know. I'm deluded like that. I think of things and then I don't really fall through. He does fall through. I, You know, we're equally spacers, but he's, he's not a waffler. I'm a waffler, right? But what I don't like is now, or at least I'm resistant, a bit more resistant to, is those, you know, motivational videos have those music in the background the tiktok you know sound boom 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 i get up at four o'clock in the morning and i decide no one's gonna outwork me boom 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 you know that shit and i was like look i'm i love i love the fact that there's probably people who see that and they think look if i go to the gym and i work out really hard i can put my head down no matter what else i do with the rest of the day i can put my head down on my pillow and think i did what i needed to do today and that is sometimes all you need right to think to just fight off that voice and think right i did enough today but i also think that some people can confuse like i often did um an element of suffering with hard work like hard work i don't know if you that has to be the case i don't know how much of that you're telling people about quality of life you know all for hustle, all for that kind of rhetoric, all for that kind of, you know, do you think you could find, say you're making, you know, a, a grand a month. Is there anything else that you could do yourself that you could make a grand a month on? You know, I'm all for that Gary V. go out and sell shit, sell to other people kind of thing, you know. Get out of the job that you don't want. Is there another job that you could do that would get you 70% of the money that you do in the job you don't like? That would make you, you know, 100%, 200% happier. I'm all for that kind of like smart, applicable, but just telling a bunch of lads who love uh, wrestling to go out and get up at four o'clock in the morning and work out, you know, I don't, I know it definitely helps. I know it definitely helps some people, you know, and having a structure and focus and all that sort of stuff. But I think there's another side to the rock that is also, you know, I wouldn't mind hearing him talk about how you can turn. What is the actual art? Where's the creativity? Because he's a very creative man. And, uh, you know, I think he's just kind of resting on this whole, you know, no one's going to get more calluses on their hands than me. Um, you know, you know what I mean? I don't know if that's necessary. Or maybe I just don't want to do that shit. Do you know what I mean? Does that make sense to you? Maybe I'm only uh, speaking to my brother here. <laughs> we talk about, I mean, my brother Andy, we talk about kind of, uh, you know, gurus and motivation and all that sort of stuff. But I just don't know if I buy that whole get up, grind and be the last one on the treadmill, you know, really, is that, or, or how, about, how about you figure out a way, um, or is there, is there a possible way that you could uh, do the same thing you're doing now uh, in a fraction of the time, is there anything, is, is your 40, could your 40 hour week be cut down to 32 hours, you know, could you find eight hours extra to sit and fucking stare, and you know Sarah the sunset or whatever it is you know what I mean there's another element to that that I'm more into these days 
because <laughs> I don't want to work any harder. Um, look, this has been a proper ramble, but um, I hope you can bear with me. I had a very big Saturday. <laughs> I didn't go out much. Actually, this is the thing. I came back and I was only able to do two points. I only had two points after and I felt very smug. I felt like The Rock the next morning, even though I had a massive chipper on the way home. But you know what I mean? I felt, felt smug that I was health, healthy and fit, uh, that I could only get physically. Uh, buy, purchase two points in the very short window that I was allocated after getting on stage. But um, there are some big things popping on the podcast. We're getting a whole rebrand. In fact, I'm changing up the whole podcast. I'm going to be bringing in some new segments, some regular segments. There is going to be a podcast full of segments. I'm going to be getting help editing the thing. I'm going to be getting help with people researching the thing. And why is that? Is that so I can focus on other projects? No, it's so I can focus on this podcast being the number one podcast in the world hustle and grind well i just want it to be i just want it to be uh <laughs> better i want it to have um i want there to be more sketches and i think if i can get more people involved in the helping of the actual editing and publishing and all that sort of stuff then i can focus more on my rumble foreskins my boners my me in the big brother house and then just talk about my week and what's on my mind as well as that you know i think that's a better formula for this podcast so we're getting a whole rebrand I'm going to be putting a lot into it. This is my dream job. I don't faff around when I say that. If you would like to listen to maybe a more structured podcast, um, you can do so over on the Patreon. Type in Patreon and then type in Tony Canwell. Go straight to my Patreon. And for the price of a pint, hey, if you find that you can't buy a pint after 11 o'clock in this bloody COVID world, we'd still like to spend that cash. You can do so over on the Patreon. For the price of a pint, you get an extra podcast every single Friday. You will also get early access for all the gigs that I'm going going to be announcing in the next couple of weeks. So if you sign up there, you will get a, a, a link um, when the tickets become available and you'll be able to buy them 24 hours before anyone else. That's one of the benefits uh, of uh, my Patreon. And a lot of tickets sold for the Ficker Street one through the Patreon. So again, I want to thank you very much if you were one of those people. Uh, I'll be back uh, on Friday, of course, on the Patreon. Back here next Tuesday. Um, and uh, look, listen, live. Thanks very much. I'm in flying for All the best. Bye-bye. If you want to support this podcast and get a full ad-free episode, sign up to Headstuff Plus.